recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christagonia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, July 20th, 2013. Once again, I have Sword Brethren here with me, and we're going to present part two of addressing the shills. Part two of addressing the latest um, slander, but which Eli James has published concerning yours truly, concerning me personally. I don't care about being called names. I don't care about being slandered. I don't care who says a darn thing about me. What I do care about, and the only thing I care about, is what Christian identity is, how Christian identity is to be defined, what the truth is, what the true matters of Scripture are, what the Scripture really teaches us about our faith, about our inheritance in the kingdom, and about, because of its grave importance in the world around us today, about race. That's what I care about. What I care about is being honest and forthright and getting my message across to people. And when I'm being lied about, I have to answer that. I have to answer that because I'm, if I'm being lied about, it's in an attempt not to discredit me. I can't be discredited. I'm the scum of the earth. I'm a 14-year federal prisoner. I'm a federal felon. I violated my civil rights. My civil rights were removed from me. I'm white trash. I'm a high school dropout. I don't give a shit about me. I've seen the bottom. And I could be comfortable there. What I care about is the truth, the truth of this message, and getting it out. And not having it obfuscated by interlopers and liars. And giving people the opportunity to hear both sides of a story. That's what I care about. All I care about is the truth of the scripture. Period. There's nothing to me. I don't care about me. I care about the truth. I don't have an ego. I want to be a loudmouth, arrogant bastard at times. I don't have an ego. I've had everything that I've once had and, and, and cherished removed. I know what that feels like. I know that the things I have now and, and, and the wonderful life, the, the wonderful blessings that I've received of late, I know that if I don't stand in the truth, I'm liable to lose them, too. All I care about is truth. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm going through this latest slander concerning me. That's why I'm addressing Joseph November. It's about time the mask came off the great impersonator. Once again, I have Sword Brethren with me here, and we're going, he's going to help me discuss these issues. Hello, well, Brian. May I mention a few things right off the bat? I was reading over a, a, a summary I did a play-by-play -play account of Eli's show from January 23rd, 2011, called Testament of Joseph, Part 2, Voice of Christian Israel. You're familiar with the basics of that show, correct, Bill? Yes, I am. At 18 minutes and 10 seconds into the show, Eli stated, well, Joe stated, that Ezekiel 38:16 suggests the other races will go back to their own lands. And then between 1820 and 1840, he talked about a spiritual seed. He said that God will establish a kingdom on earth forever, and God will reach out to every race and every kingdom to bring all people into a relationship with himself. 
And then in 1957, he he claims that you and Clifton have a recapitulation theory in which you deny that other races existed prior to the creation of Adam and Eve. Eli explicitly stated that Adam and Eve were not the first humanoid creation, that there were other races. Then at 2144, he declared that there was a Cro-Magnum man and that whites are identical to Cro-Magnum men except they have larger brains. And then he talked about the origins of Cro-Magnum Man at 2158, going all the way back to Atlantis, the mythical island of Atlantis. He stated that there was no Gulf Stream. And then at 2110, he stated that the Gulf oil spill had destroyed the Gulf Stream, and there's no longer a Gulf Stream. Well, well, yeah, right. He said there was no longer a Gulf Stream, and he said in um, in the fall of 2010 that 500,000 people were going to freeze to death in Europe. He said that on his Restoration Hour program. That was a prophecy. He said it in the name of a pastor. It didn't happen. Well, the, the other races, I, I mean, I, I, in, I intend over these next few weeks to begin a Genesis series with you and a two seed line series where we will start in Genesis. I hope that it replaces and, and, and far excels the two seed line series I once did with Joe November, which was never really very popular. It was liked by a lot of people that heard it, but it was never very popular um, by Christogenia standards. I mean, not all of my programs have 5,000 downloads, but many of my programs have 5,000 downloads, and, and many of my programs have over 20,000 downloads. So um, the, the two C-Line series, most of, them, most of the episodes never got more than a, a, a couple of hundred downloads, even though they've been on my site for close to five years. So it was never really popular. It's too long, and, and um, it needs to be a lot more concise. And, and I think that we could do a much better job today. And I plan on talking about Cro-Magnon man and, and um, Neanderthal man and, and the pre-Adamic species. But Eli James, that's a straw man argument that he has put into my mouth and into the mouth of Clifton Emmerheiser. And our writing, our writing that was published way before I got out of prison, writing that's been on Clifton's website for years, writing that's been on the Israel elect website for years, proves that Eli is lying about what Clifton and I teach about the existence of the other races and, and, and other races existing here before the Adamic man. Well, Eli is lying about that. It's a blatant lie. It's a bold-faced lie. Additionally, Bill, on that same program at the 2545 mark, well, going back at the 2506 mark, he declares that Cro-Magnums existed well before 5000 B.C., well before Adam, and our ancestors existed well before Adam, and that we come from Cro-Magnon, and that we don't necessarily come from Adamite man. He then stated that your theory leaves no room for the hunter-gather period, and it cannot be fit into such a short period. At 2613, he explicitly declared that you teach we are still on the seventh day of rest, and that the Genesis creation story is wrong. Then he goes on to state that there's no creation after the first six days, he then declares that you teach that there is no Sabbath and that we don't have to observe a Sabbath. Well, well, he misrepresents my teachings at every turn, right? The book of Hebrews, the words of Paul of Tarsus, demonstrate that Yahweh God is still in his seventh day of rest because he ceased from all of his works, which he made from the first six days of Genesis, right? Paul substantiates that in Hebrews. The days are literal to men, 
the days are allegorical to Yahweh. They're allegorical to God. Okay? If Joshua's Israelites had an opportunity to enter into the rest of Yahweh, and Paul equated that with the rest in the book of Hebrews, where Yahweh rested from all his works, then Yahweh is still in his allegorical seventh day of rest, the days to Yahweh not being literal 24-hour periods. The children of Israel, in order to commemorate that, were to rest every seventh literal calendar day. But simply because the days are literal to the calendar relative to the calendar of the children of Israel does not mean they're literal days to Yahweh our God. Time, men, mortal men are bound by time. Yahweh God exists outside of time. He's the author of time. He's not bound by it. All right. And I Eli, noticed... Eli's entire argument is sophistic. And simply because he doesn't understand the abstract concept, he is accusing Clifton and I of ignoring this, this scripture, and we certainly are not. You have my answer. Right. And I'd like to just continue briefly. At 4906, Eli states that the creation of Eve in regards to her literally coming from Adam's rib is a fairy tale, and he just can't accept that. At 5448, Eli states that Genesis 124 and 25 include the creations of non-whites, stating that there is simply no doubt about this, although he offers no proof. There at is 50, doubt about it. It's entirely conjecture. Right. And at 5640, conjecture. At 5640, Eli states he cannot accept Clifton's premise that there were no Asiatics or Negroes in the day of the garden. Eli states it's a ridiculous premise. I cannot accept it. Clifton never made it. Yeah, you right. know, in, in my anatomy of a split with Eli James, I split. There was a lot of things that precipitated my split with Eli James. It, it was the rift was widening every year. The rift widened. It, it was getting wide with the, the Ron Wyatt stuff, the Zechariah Sitchin stuff, and, and it was widening. There's no doubt that the um, the disagreement over Arlene Johnson, the problems with Clayton Douglas with Russell Walker, and every other clown that Eli James or Joseph November facilitates. Right. Eli James facilitates these clowns. They're all clowns. It's like the land of misfit toys. Commander McBrag, there's another clown. He domineered chat rooms for two years. Eli James wouldn't mute him. Right. He absolutely dominated. He was 99% of the posts some night in the chat rooms doing nothing but bragging. My, my dirt's better than your dirt. I got more guns than you got. I'm a better shot than you. I, I, I've got a prettier wife than you. He did nothing but brag for two years in Eli James's chat rooms. Eli James wouldn't shut him the hell up. I've noticed, too, there's a general pattern. It's not about what is proven or disproven or what, sounds, what seems to be a sound theory. It's all about what Eli says, I can't accept that, that's ridiculous, I won't accept that. At 4237, Eli declared his main objection to Clifton's ideas as, quote, nobody outside of identity will take it seriously, end quote. And that's 4237. Well, Eli has totally mischaracterized Clifton's ideas. That, that's what final, that was the final straw on the camel's back when Eli produced the beast of the field paper and he asked me to proofread it. And I warned him about it. And he put the words in Clifton's mouth that Clifton said that there were no other races here before the creation of Adam. And 
in my anatomy of my split with Eli James, I demonstrate three passages. And I know there's a lot more than three. Right. But I demonstrate three passages from Clifton's writing written several years before Eli's Beast of the Field paper where Clifton explicitly states that there were other races here before the creation of Adam. Right, but Eli at this point... Joseph November, I should say, is a liar. Well, Bill, that, that's sort of secondary to my point, though. I understand Clifton did not make the statements Eli's attributing to him, but Eli will attribute a statement to someone and then say, that's ridiculous, I can't accept that. Although, that's a smart man argument. He's an expert at it. Right, but even if somebody makes the statement, if I say ABC and you just say, I can't accept that, well, that's not a refutation. That's not an, an adequate rebuttal. You either refute ABC, you just can't say, I, I, I reject your premise. I don't accept that. Not at all. You have to have solid a solid proof, a solid theory, which can be proven. A proof is really just a theory in, in scientific language. You have to have a solid proof, a solid theory that, that there is information contrary to that, that, that supposition or, or that right. proposal. You, just, you don't just do a dismissive wave of the hand and shrug off somebody's statement. I can't accept that. That's a fairy tale or... At um, 5732. Well, you know, in his Beast of the Field paper, he had me down in a column all by myself as undecided about the creation of the other races. And that's a, that, that, too, and I told him at the time, was a blatant lie. I wasn't undecided about the origin of the other races. I was fully decided. The proof of that is in Broken Cisterns Part 2. Right. Never changed my, my mind or my position from what I wrote in Broken Cisterns Part 2 in 2005. So right. Joseph November is lying about that too. At 5732, he states, we must make the Bible conform to history and science. And I'm wondering, science and history determined by who? Arlene Johnson, Angela Davis? Well, well science, you know, there's a, there's, you could sit and shoot holes in science, in, in what's called science anthropology. I, I mean, science is too general a term, right? Um, what kind of science? Nuclear science? Do we have to make the Bible com, you know, conform to nuclear science or particle science or, or um, bi biological science or anthropology, right? I, oh, I mean, there are like types of science, right? Now, history is told by who? Because three men... It, you, you could pick three men. You could take, get a Jew from Tel Aviv. You, you could get a, um, a a German from, well, well maybe today the German would 100% agree with the Jew from Tel Aviv, but that's because of the Holocaust. But in the, in, the, in the end of the 19th century, various men had extremely divergent opinions about ancient history and prehistory. That we don't find those divergent opinions today simply because... Jews dominate paradigm has dominated academia. But when, when you go back to some of those writers that you like to quote, like Lafford Stodard and, and people like that, it, it's a different story. Right. There was true diversity of opinion back then. Right. There is none today. It's all Jewish. But, you know, we have a paradigm. Cliff and I have a paradigm which does agree with the basic sketch that the fallen angels, if the fallen angels were like us, and had slightly larger brains or, or slightly more ability, it only makes sense that the Cro-Magnon man are the fallen angels. And since the other races all appeared in the time frame 
that the Cro-Magnon men and Neanderthal men walked the earth, and the fallen angels went out and mixed their seed with every kind, it only makes sense, as I wrote in Broken Cisterns Part 2, eight years ago, it only makes sense that the fallen angels are the progenitors of the other races. Well, you know, Eli explicitly stated at 22.20, the 22 minute, 20 second mark, that our ancestors were forced to live in caves in the past, that our ancestors were Cro-Magnums. He states, quote, the Bible doesn't talk about this because it is previous to 5000 B.C. They were forced to live in caves because Atlantis sank after the planet oh. was struck by an asteroid. Oh, he then goes on to say there is simply no doubt about this. And my comment aside and bold is, well, I have my doubts. All of this is New Age syncretism mixed with the Jewish academic paradigm on the origins of men. That's all it is. Eli has taken New Age syncretism, something Wesley Swift was good at, and he's mixed in the Jewish paradigm on the origins of men, and he tries to explain Genesis in that fashion. And Genesis doesn't have to be explained in that fashion, as I have just illustrated. All right. Oh, he also has an indictment against you and Clifton for your ignorance. At 5840, he states the Bible must be interpreted through the eyes of natural history, Bill and Clifton do not examine the Bible from any sort of real world, his exact words, real world, scientific view. Written by um, Mortimer Schnerdstein, that natural history written by J.P. J. Gould, the, the Jew in Massachusetts, that natural history written by who? Because my account of natural history, sure as hell is it going to match theirs, and I'll bet mine is more studied. Not that I've read that much, but I'll bet mine is more studied because I've read and believe the books that my ancestors left me. And I know the theories, the harebrained theories of the Greeks concerning evolution and, and, and autoxony, I'll call it, and the origins of men. I've read all those harebrained theories, and you know something? Natural history told today by the Jews isn't any different. It's no different than some of the harebrained theories. Theodora Siculus outlined evolution theory. Evolution theory was outlined in Greek writings 2,000 years ago where they imagined that higher life forms developed from lower ones. That, that's an old Canaanite trick. That ain't new. So, so there's no, no doubt in my mind that um, perhaps Eli would like to make the Bible match the natural history related to us by the Jewish academia. From 6455 to 6510, this is a direct quote. He states, quote, From this passage, it is very clear to me that Yeshua has no intention of exterminating all Canaanites. Some of these Canaanites will be allowed to live in there wherever they were created, end quote. And he's referring to Matthew 15. So he says, wherever they were created. He doesn't even know. And my comment was, what, back to where they were created? So they go back to the Garden of Eden where Satan created them when he seduced Eve. They go back to his testicles. How do tears well, escape well, the birds? has developed a philosophy that makes the world safe for people that are 15% Jewish. At that one hour, is, that's his theology. His theology makes Christianity safe for people that are 15% Jewish which would probably and include himself. He's per yes, I believe it does include himself. He has purposely developed this theology tailored to people 
that are as much as 15% Jewish. He said that. Those, that. those words came from his own lips on this program that he did with you in, in January of, of 2011. I remember it. He stated, too, at 65.15 explicitly that he can use the book of Isaiah to prove that not all Canaanites will be destroyed and they will return each to their own land. But we've shown that he stops reading because the next, sent, the next verse shows that they're all put to the sword and no one makes it. Well, well yes, it's, it's extremely dishonest. It's an absolute lie to read Isaiah chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, where it says that they shall turn every man to his own people. And Eli has taught this often, and flee everyone into his own land, and he stops there at Isaiah chapter 13, verse 14. He doesn't read the next passage where it says, everyone that is found shall be thrust through, and everyone that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. And then in verse 16, it says, their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. How could you teach that in relation to the other races going back peaceably to their own lands? Right, and he tries to make himself a genetic biologist expert now. At the 1 hour 23 mark on this program, he states, this is Bill and Clifton's attempt to redefine the other races by making false assumptions and then redefining them as mongrels. I have clearly shown hybrids do not reproduce. If you have a hybrid population and they intermix with each other, the true races come out. End quote. Why do we well, have Arabia? Well, why do we have Arabs? Why do we have Egypt after um, thousands of years? Why Mexico? Well, why Brazil? How, how do we have these places? How do we have India? How do we have Dravidians in India? Who are Mesopotamian blood after thousands of years and thousands of years with long periods of virtual historical isolation? Hybrids don't reproduce. Eli's already proven that. Get with the it, program. It, he, he's insisting on that from some old folk tales, but he's basically a liar. He's a liar. He moves his lips, he's lying. He can't tell the truth. Hybrids reproduce all the time. Go look at any, any major urban center in America. You'll see hybrids reproducing all over the damn place. Well, if hybrids couldn't reproduce, then mulattoes would just die out. We'd never get octaroons and quintoons. If hybrids couldn't reproduce, we wouldn't have Detroit. Or, or we'd still have Detroit, I'm sorry. If hybrids couldn't reproduce, there'd be no Jews. Absolutely not. He's a liar. He, the these are emotional appeals. He's, based, he's basing his theology on emotional appeals. Oh, it's not the little bastard's fault he's a bastard. God's going to judge him based on his works. He said that. He said that. It's in our Eli James Universalist program. We raised five or six major points from Eli James' own words, from clear podcasts, from lengthy segments where we could be taking nothing out of context, and there are still people that want to cut this guy some slack, he hasn't addressed one of those points. All he has done, all he has done is raised great clouds of smoke with personal attacks against me and ad hominem slanders and insults, and, and 21 pages of it. In this 21 pages, did he address one point from our Eli James Universalist podcast? Unless no. I'm mistaken, he has at least a four-year degree in psychology, possibly a master's degree in psychology, so the approach he's taking 
it would be consistent with someone trained and educated and experienced in psychology who's going to manipulate people on an emotional level. Well, well, absolutely, and he might fool a lot of people, but I'm a high school dropout, and he ain't going to fool me. He, he tricked me once. He ain't going to trick me again. He tricked me with lies. He was very crafty. He never sent me his book. He never sent me any of his papers that reeked with universalism. He sent me certain books and certain papers, and, and he had a good report from certain Christian identity people, and for those reasons, I accepted him. I put those reasons in my party politics and CI and Christian identity paper, which began as a post on my, on, on my forum and ended up as a pretty popular podcast download on the Saxon Messenger website and on Christogenio. I think it has about 10,000 downloads, right? Well, well he, he takes that and he calls my discussion of labels my analysis of his universalism. And, you know, come to think of it, he never gave or sold me a copy of his book. He visited with me, but he never said, here's a copy of my book, you know, um, it's yours, or give me a 10 or a 20 and it's yours. He just, he never even tried to get me a copy of his book. Well, well, you know, Clifton and I, Clifton and I talked all the time when I started working with Eli James, and we recognized a lot of problems early on with a lot of his theological positions, and we decided, and, and I thought it was a good idea, and, and Clifton did too, we decided to go with it and to, that, that I should continue doing the podcasts so that people get to hear both sides. Because what I will say in Eli's favor, or in Joseph November's favor, is that he never did try to muffle me. And I'm not going to be muffled. I'm just going to walk away. You're not going to muffle me. But he never tried to steer me away from saying something that I thought was true. And I give that, that's to his credit, but that's about the only thing to his credit that I could remember. And people did get to hear both of our opinions on many, many topics. Now, those programs are all on archive.christagenia.org. They're still there. People could download them and, and, and compare Eli's words to mine. And I invite people to do that. Actually, go listen to our podcast. And then listen to my podcasts that I've done alone on many of those same topics. I invite people to do that. I don't hide anything. All of my work is posted freely on Christogenia. Even the books I sell. Even the books I sell. My New Testament, the text is posted freely. Christrike, the text is posted freely on two websites, not on one. That's why I can't sell a damn copy. My Saxon Messenger I put out every month, the text is posted freely. I don't hide anything. I, I don't hawk anything, period. I have nothing to hawk. If people want to support me, they buy copies of my books. If they can't afford to or don't want to support me, well, I know they must be listening to me anyway because I have a hell of a lot more listeners than I have supporters. That's the way it is. And that's okay. That, that's the way it should be. I hope that wasn't a conversation ender. <laughs> no, I'm just, I have nothing to um, argue with about that. I, I won't dispute that. I'm just looking over his paper here about why 2012 and then his Beasts of the Field paper. And well, I, well, it, it, it briefly crossed my mind that while he's sitting here writing a 49-page paper, Beasts of the Field Part 1, a 25-page paper attacking you in Clifton, and he's turning out 100-plus pages a month. How is he doing this as a business owner who's always claiming that he's hard up for money? I'm, 
I mean, is, is he a full-time activist? And if so, who's paying his bills? Well, well I probably don't turn out 100-plus pages a month. And Chris DeGenier is all I do. I do a lot of tech work to keep Chris DeGenier going. Don't get me wrong. Right, but, but here's all Eli, I do. Eli's turning out an awful lot. You know, he does Republic, what, three or four times a week. He's always traveling around the country. It seems odd that he has months upon months to travel. Everywhere he goes, people get arrested, events get shut down. Who, who pays for him to do all that traveling? And who runs his business while he's on the road traveling? Who pays his bills while he's on the road traveling? And where does he find time to write hundreds of pages a month while he's on the road traveling? Well, well right. And, I, and I'm, I can't afford to travel much. And, and uh, my wife works, and I'm not traveling without her anyway. So that's the way right. it is. And I'm not trying to draw any conclusions. I'm just asking questions. You know, I'm always begging the question. Right. Well, well you, you know, I probably put out, if, if you count my Bible studies and my Saxon Messenger essays, I probably put out 60 pages a month without forum, forum posts, and, and sometimes more than that. That's a guess. But, but I don't do um, massive amounts of cut-and-paste scholarship like certain people do. I, I don't quote from other identity writers generally. I, I rarely do. I, I try to go all for original sources, and, and therefore my research takes a lot longer to do. If I quote from anybody, it's usually from Clifton. And, and only because I remember it well and, and don't believe in reinventing the wheel and, and because I proofread Clifton. So I, I don't, it, Eli's book is all cut and pasted from different authors, and, and that's not me. I, I make my own words. Unless it's scripture. Eli right. makes words only when it's scripture. Now he's trying to back off. He's trying to put a lot of distance between himself and this December 2012 nonsense. He had a countdown clock. I asked him about two years ahead of time, what if it comes and goes and the world doesn't end? He told me he would recalculate and come up with a new date. Well, he's already done that. But now well, he's claiming that, that he... he I wanted to talk about that at length because the way that he presented why 2012 is what really needs to be addressed, I believe. All right. Would you like to jump right into that then? Or? I would like to talk... I'd like to rewind a little bit and, and go back to... Um, we, we covered one paragraph of three in the last paper, and, and I would like to start where if you read the essays of Bertrand Compare, Wesley Swift, Arnold Kennedy, um, Howard B. Rand, Dan Gaiman, Willie Martin, and virtually all the others, now I'm quoting Eli's diatribe. I'm quoting his Shills Part 1, which is directed at me. Willie Martin and virtually all the others, hatred towards non-whites is either completely absent or negligible. CI has never been about hating the other races. It is only about loving our own race and our father, Yahweh, and his son, Yahshua. Eli's being, being very patronizing here. And he says, but William Fink has raised the art of racial hatred to the level of dogma. And, and I'm going to comment on that. But I'd like to read his, last, his next two paragraphs also, where he says, obviously we are obliged to point out racial violence against our own people, but we must also point out that racial violence against us has always been instigated by the perfidious Jew. Now, now all of these words are, are superfluous to his, to his point, right? right? All of these words, he's only patronizing his audience here. That's all he's doing. And it is the psychologist's ploy. Well, you Every know, he would... I does the psychologist's ploy. 
use um uh, artic he he wants to sound articulate, so he uses rich, expressive language to try and sound like some big shot who's an authority. Right. He says, I have documented the absurdity of trying to equate the other races with Edomites and beasts of the field. Now, that's an important statement because it's a straw man argument. That's two straw man arguments in this paragraph. The other straw man argument is that I preach violence against the other races. Okay? He goes on to say, that document should be compared with William Fink's writings on the subject so you can determine for yourself whether the extermination thesis has any merit. Well, Eli has not quoted one passage, he has not addressed one passage of scripture which I had presented in relation to the end time judgment of non-Adamic people. Eli has not addressed one passage of scripture, and I will repeat some of those tonight. As I have, as I, meaning Eli, or Joseph November, I should say, as I have been saying since 2003, anyone who espouses hatred, this is straw man argument number two, anyone who espouses hatred and violence is an enemy of Christian identity. The Bible says hundreds of times that if we Israelites would simply obey his laws, no enemy can harm us. What, well, what about Eve, right? She was deceived. She well, was well, remember, but, she was keeping the law. What about Job? Well, time out, Bill. Remember, don't forget Mr. November's circular argument. She was deceived, but we won't be deceived because we'll have our Shekinah glory back. And then when I asked him, well, what about Eve? She had that. And he said, yes, but she was deceived. We won't be. We'll have learned our lesson. Right. Couldn't keep a serpent out of one Eve, so you're going to keep a serpent out of 20 million or 50 million or 100 million. Well, hopefully we'll have learned our lessons. Eli goes on to say, it also says, who can make war against the beast? We Christian Israelites are not to engage in preemptive violence like the Jews do. At the same time, we are to be constantly prepared to do battle in self-defense, the Second Amendment, blah, blah, blah. That, that's, I, I've made the point. I've read the important things, Eli ends, because the Bible is so clear that he protects his obedient, righteous children. Anyone who agitates for unbiblical hatred and violence is working for the synagogue of Satan. There are two straw man arguments here. First, the first straw man argument is that I preach preemptive or any type of violence against the other races. I've never done that. I challenge Eli to show me where I've done that. Yahweh hates. God hates. It's very clear in Scripture. And Christians have to be taught what proper biblical hatred is. Paul explains why Esau was hated. Esau was a profane man and a fornicator. And that's the words of Paul of Tarsus saying why he forsook his, his birthright and why God hated him. In the law, something profane is the opposite of something sanctified. And something sanctified is something set apart for the purposes of God. Esau violated that. He violated the sanctity of, the, of, of his Adamic flesh, so he was a profane man, and he did it by race mixing, so he was a fornicator. Now, I would say that it's true that people espousing violence are usually infiltrators. They are usually working for our enemies. And we should ostracize those people. And I've always said that. Joseph November is a liar because I do not espouse violence. I do not espouse any of us taking a hand in violence against 
any of the other races. It's futile, unless it's in self-defense, and then it's absolutely necessary. You better be prepared to defend yourself and your family. But I've always taught that the correct teaching of Scripture is not violence because vengeance belongs to Yahweh. We're told that very clearly, that vengeance belongs to God. But Compare taught the same thing which I teach concerning the fate of the other races at the return of Yahshua Christ. The proof is in his paper, Gathering the Tares. And it's there that Bertrand Compare says that the beast nations will face the same judgment as the tares. And Compare says that explicitly. He says it explicitly. Now, the second straw man argument that was in this, that these couple of paragraphs of, Clif, uh, of Joseph November's is that Clifton and I teach that the Edomites and the other races and, and the Edomites and the Canaanites are the same as the other races. We've never taught that. That's a ridiculous statement. He's putting words on our mouth. It's a straw man argument. Every, every time Eli James formulates an argument, it's a straw man argument. Now, he might do it. Sometimes I suspect he does it because he doesn't read our papers. He doesn't read what we write. He doesn't listen to my programs. I don't think he listened to me half the time when I was doing programs with him. I think he was reading McBrag. He, he, he was enjoying that a hell of a lot more. He wouldn't get rid of the clown. I'm being honest. I think, I, I think he was distracted or something. He couldn't have been listening to me. He could, I did podcasts with him for two years. I don't change. If I change, if you find me saying something different about race, about scripture, about anything that I teach, please, please tell me that I've changed my mind from three, four, five years ago. Please inform me of that so I can see it. Please correct me. I beg. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, I'm a man. I make mistakes, but generally, I don't change. The things that I believe now, the things that I'm established in now, are things that I was established in 10 years ago. My papers prove it. And I don't recant anything I've written in any paper. Not that I wouldn't recant a mistake. I would recant a mistake really quick. And I would put the correction right there and admit it was a correction. There's a whole list of errata for the Christogenian New Testament. There's a whole list of errata published on my website right now. Every item in that list of errata is a mistake that I made. I'm not ashamed of them. Men make mistakes. That's the way it is. But as far as I know... My teachings today are consistent with what I've been teaching ever since Clifton Emmerheiser decided to start printing my material because he thought it was worthy. And, and that was probably in 2004. It, it may have been earlier, but it was probably in 2004. I'm guessing. So, so e Eli is setting up straw man arguments. He's putting words in our mouth, and he's lying. He's a liar. Those are his main tactics. Straw man seems to be his go-to technique. He's claiming the high ground here, violence against the other races, something I've never, ever espoused. Simply because I know what the scripture says about the fate of the other races doesn't mean that I'm preaching that we should conduct acts of violence against them. That's a straw man argument. It's an absolute lie. I would challenge Joseph November to show me where I have openly promoted violence towards any other race.
He won't find it because I've never done it. It's not on any of my websites, and it's not on any of the nearly 1,000 podcasts I've done over the last four and a half years. And it is just about 1,000 podcasts. He goes, railing against violence as if I promoted it, that's a straw man argument, so that he could argue against it. Notice that he doesn't have one citation. He doesn't have one citation. Oh, Fink said this in that program, or Fink wrote this in that paper. He doesn't have one citation, one forum post. He has nothing. How do the people that listen to Joseph November let him get away with that bullshit? How do they do that? Everything I write, I have citations. Everything I write. If I don't have a citation, please kick me in the ass and say, where'd you get that from, Bill? And and I'll go find it. You know, when we opened the first segment of this program last week, I pointed out that Eli James used this technique against Clifton Emmerheiser in his Beast of the Field series, putting words in his mouth and arguing against the words. All of that is now fully documented. I went and posted all of that on the Christagenia forum again for the umpteenth time, and I put all the links that that anybody who really wants to check it out can click on this link and go to Clifton's paper and click on that link and go to Eli's Beast of the Field article where he made the, the, the straw man argument and Clifton's paper proves that that's not what Clifton teaches. He's now also trying to make light of the fact that you were incarcerated, saying that you concealed your record. But if I'm not mistaken, he desperately was tripping over himself trying to write to you while you were in prison. Yes, he was, and I never concealed my record. I've never concealed what I was in prison for. I've never concealed what, what, what I, um, that, that I was in prison. I've never concealed that. Now, my version of the events of that night, they differ from the version in the New York Times. My right. version of the events that got me into prison, they're way different than the version in the New York Times, but I'm fully ready to relate what I was in prison for. I don't make it the centerpiece of my ministry. Why should I? That's crazy. What, what's my ministry about me being in prison? Then I should be a beggar in the street. I should just go looking for handouts at the mall. That's well, crazy. Does he think that you should open each show by saying, hello, this is William Fink. I just got out of prison in 2009, and I was in prison for blah, blah, blah. Let's get on with the show. Well, right. Yeah, you know... You know, when I got out of prison, I created WilliamFink.net, and I wanted to be, my, my goal is to be as transparent as possible. That's my philosophy, that people should know who I am, that people should know where I've come from, that people should know what my background is. Now, lately, because I want to redesign the website, I've taken down all the pictures at WilliamFink.net. But until two weeks ago, you could go to WilliamFink.net, and, and it will be back as soon as I get the time. You could go to WilliamFink.net. You could see pictures of my ancestors for four generations. You could see pictures of all six of my children and both of my ex-wives. You could see pictures of my brother and my sister and their children. You could see pictures of my parents and me all throughout my childhood. Now, you could still see a couple of those pictures on the About page of Christagenia so that when people listen to me, they see what they're getting. I post pictures of my wife on WilliamFink.net. 
I have no problem with that, neither does she. Has anybody ever seen Joseph November's wife? A pastor should be a husband of one wife. A pastor should raise faithful children. I have pictures of all six of my kids on my website. I had them there for years. They'll be back. They're down right now. They've been down for about two weeks, but they'll be back. There's a lot of people in this forum that have seen all my pictures of my kids, my family, and my ancestors on both sides of my family, my fathers and mothers, for four generations. I had pictures of my mother's great-great-grandfathers or great-grandfather, two of them, Charles Grant and Theodore Addison Stevens. Where's Eli James's family? Where's Joe November's family? What the hell is their name? I know it's Joe November. I'm just being facetious. Where's his family? Who's ever seen pictures of his background? I'm not afraid of my background. I publish it whenever I get the opportunity. Where's his? Who is he? He claims to be a, be a Vietnam vet. Okay. You know, when I was a kid, I was growing up right behind the Vietnam era, and everybody and their mother was claiming to be a Vietnam vet. Who is he? Where are the pictures? Where are the photographs? Where's his family? If you're going to be a public figure, if you're going to be a pastor, you're not going to be afraid to put them out there. Well, I would think, too, if he were in Vietnam, he'd have at least a few pictures from when he was over there, at least one or two, right? Wouldn't you think, Bill? I would think. I would think. He, he's a question mark. I, I'm, I'm, I'm exposed. I have nothing to hide in my life. I, I'm not a four-year psychiatry major or psychology major. I'm a high school dropout. I have nothing to hide in my life. And I have no shame. Because a man with humility, a Christian man, should have no shame. I have no shame. If you want to judge me, walk my walk. Where's his family? That's what I want to know. Who are they? Where the hell did they come from? So, so this man has, should have nothing to say about my background. Because his is a damn question mark. It's a mystery. It's shrouded in, in secrecy and aliases. Sounds like a Jew troll to me. Jew trolls do that. Jewish trolls do that. That's who does that. Eli's next section of his slander against me is the straw man technique. Imagine that. He's an expert at it. That's incredible. He's already, he just did it twice to me. Two straw man arguments in the preceding two paragraphs. That Clifton and I equate Canaanites and Edomites to, to the other races or the other races to Canaanites and Edomites. We've never done that. It's nowhere in my papers, in my podcast, or on my website. And that I preach violence against the other races. I've never done that. It's nowhere in my paper, in my podcast, in my papers, or on my websites. Nowhere. It's not in my forum posts. It's not tucked in a piece of paper in my secret decoder ring. He's lying. And, and then he, after setting two straw man arguments against me in two paragraphs, 
Eli James or Joseph November is going to explain to us the straw man technique. That's pretty good. That, that's like Hitler's big lie, right? Right. Hitler described, Hitler described the way the Jews loved the big lie, and, and the they, Jews used that against Hitler and claimed Hitler be, as being the author of the big lie. Right. Eli James uses the straw man technique against me and then cries that I'm using the straw man technique against him. It, it, he's like the Jew that stabs you in the back as he's crying persecution. Absolutely, and I see that all the time. You go on conservative forums, and they talk about how Hitler engineered the big lie, and Hitler's actually warning and talking about how easy it is for people to fall for the lie. He's not talking about how they use the lie against them and how to dupe them. Do you want to read the the the, um, the first paragraph of the straw man technique? I, I, I got a lot of notes here. If you just want me to read it, that's okay, too. Straw man technique. The straw man technique is a typical Jewish method for misrepresenting someone else's teachings, and he'd know a lot about that because he does it in every paper. It consists of reducing someone's arguments down to a simplistic concept which is easily refuted and or ridiculed. And as an aside, this is technically not what a straw man is. It's not reducing someone's arguments down to a simplistic concept. The quintessential straw man is taking views that someone doesn't adhere to and claiming they adhere to them and then arguing against the the fake ideology. If you claim, oh, Brian's a Marxist-Leninist, and then you're going to argue against Marxist-Leninism and say, oh, I've defeated him. Well, I don't believe in Marxism-Leninism, so that would be a straw man. Eli's an expert at it. I mean, think preaches violence against the other races, or or, or think, think an Amahizer equate the other races to Edomites and Canaanites. Right. That's well, he's not even giving an honest definition of what a straw man is. Absolutely not. To resume, it consists of reducing someone's arguments down to a simplistic concept, which is easily refuted and or ridiculed. Fink did this when he asserted that I claimed that the world would end on December 21st, 2012. He went even further by declaring that I am a false prophet. Both of these characterizations are blatant distortions. I have been known to be provocative in literary ways, and the countdown clock that I once had on my website was designed to be provocative. It was designed to get our people to think about these prophecies. Um, just, just to um, jog my memory here a bit, Bill, I could be mistaken, but the clock, it said, countdown until the end, you know, and then it had, you know, years, months, days, and then it would just say days. Yeah, right. It was a countdown clock for the end of the world. That's what right. it was. It, it, it didn't say the world might end. Consider thinking about it. It said, prepare to meet your God. And he sent out a newsletter with a picture of a man wearing a sandwich sign with a bell in one hand, and it said, the end is here. It didn't even say the end is near. It said, the end is here. All Israel, prepare to meet your God. Do you at least vaguely recall that? Well, well I recall a lot of emails that were along those lines. There's no doubt. I wish I had saved them. Uh, I really do. In fact, oh. I might have some of them, but they're, I have on, every single uh, one of them. they're on a hard drive in, in, in a shelf. Save those emails. In right. fact, um, maybe you could throw them on a, put them in a zip file and send them to me. Save right. those. I have every single email that Eli ever sent me. Yeah, you know, on the Waterman files, he, Joseph November has been doing a program. I don't know if he's still doing it, but he's been doing it for a long time, or he did it for a long time, called the Waterman Files with John Waterman. And he was listed as the, prop, the, the prophecy guru there. He wasn't listed as Pastor Eli James. 
Sometimes he, it was announced that he was Pastor Eli James, but he was listed as the prophecy guru. And on the Waterman Files, Joe November promoted the comet Elenin as the planet Nibiru, and he talked about the destruction it would wreak on the Earth. And he did that in the summer of 2011. It was actually July 29, 2011, one particular episode which I listened to a great portion of. He continued this theme right up until December of 2012. November has been in this pattern for at least several years, and that's fully evident in many of those Judgment Day perspectives mailings which you're talking about. One program on which Joe November espoused all of this information and talked about it from the viewpoint of the prophecy guru of the Waterman Files was on July 29, 2011, where November had a long and friendly discussion with a New Age freak named Terrell Croft. Terrell Croft is not a Christian, or at least he, he doesn't really espouse true Christian beliefs, and he's certainly not Christian identity, and he's a New Age freak. The links, I'll post the links, this, that this program, pieces of this program have been posted and links to the full program so that people could see that the pieces are not taken out of context, that they weren't patched together. You could go right to the link. There's a link to the original page on the Waterman Files websites and, and our Goosug radio where the Waterman Files is broadcast. Okay? The links are on Christagenia, and they're on johnny44.org. They're on the Christagenia forum. And I'll post them again when I post my notes for this current program that we're doing now, and, and, and I'll post it tomorrow morning in the Christagenia forum under Christian Identity Directions, like I did last week. One November quote from this program is, Carol, what do you see in regard to tidal waves in coastal cities? Coastal cities are going to be in big trouble. That's November's words. That's Eli James's words, right? And, and this is one of many such quotes where Eli James is talking in concrete terms and prophesying things in concrete terms which are supposed to happen in the fall of 2011. Now, I understand that he had, that this is a little contrary to his Y2012 paper, but here he's not a pastor. Here he's a prophecy guru. So he does, he's playing a role. What it comes down to is should Christian pastors play these roles? That's what it comes down to. One, you know, Terrell Croft during this program explained in his terms that the coming of the Son of Man was something other than the return of Joshua Christ. And he said that very bluntly. He, 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 he gave... Um, assertions from other parts of Scripture which really had nothing to do with the coming of the Son of Man. He said, oh, the Son of Man are Adam and Eve. And then he referred to, uh, to, to a passage in Acts chapter 3. The, the Son of Man is the prophet of Acts chapter 3. Well, the Son of Man to a Christian is Yahshua Christ. The coming of the Son of Man means the return of Yahshua Christ himself. That's what it means. It doesn't mean anything other than that to a Christian. But Eli, or Joe November, he countenanced that. He countenanced that. He didn't have a problem with that. He didn't say anything in response to that. Is he a Christian pastor, or is he playing a role? 
Well, if someone said that on my program, I'd chop them down. And if he's playing a role, which which one which one of these people is the real Joe November? And we have this entire soundbite. And I'm going to play this soundbite. The, the people on TalkShoe won't hear it, I'm sorry, but this soundbite is posted at john844.org. It, will be post, it is posted on the Christagenia forum. It will be posted again when this program is posted on Christagenia. There will be links to the forum post when I post this, for, this program on Christagenia. But at the end of this evening, where I usually play music at the end of my program, I'm going to play... I'm going to play this section of, of Eli's comments and conversation with this Terrell Croft and, right. and I'll play that instead, right? But, but that's all, all well and good. You, you know, Bill, is this clown a different clown from the one that was trying to sell those survival shelters in the Ozarks when Eli got on there and said on I, December 21st? I selling the survival shelters in the Ozarks, and Eli James was going along with that too. He is right. the guy that was selling the survival shelters in the Ozarks, right? Okay. And, and Eli got on there and said that on December 21st, 2012, the North and South Pole would flip, the mantle and the crust of the earth would liquefy, the Missouri and Mississippi and Ohio rivers would turn to molten lava, and everything east of the Mississippi River would be totally destroyed without exception, and that there would only be a, a safe bastion in the Ozarks, and you need to buy your survival shelter now. Well, well, right. Well, ter- that they were Terrell Croft's assertions, and Eli was repeating them or going along with them the whole time. The whole, whole time. The whole time. And, and we have the program that proves it. And, and I have the original MP3. I have it linked to Argusu Radio, but I also have it hosted at johnny844.org. Now, Other than the Son of Man, which is an, a contradiction of absolute Christian doctrine, which November never challenged, Eli James never challenged it, in this program, he also, November, Joseph November cited the fifth Mayan prophecy as if it were legitimate. The fifth, what the hell should a Christian be doing, a Christian pastor be doing citing the fifth Mayan prophecy as if it were legitimate? Cut him some slack. I mean, surely, I mean, Elijah would probably cite the works of the Baal priests, wouldn't he? I mean, it's the right thing to do, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's how a, a, a man of um, Israel, a, a prophet of Yahweh, behaves, right? You cite the works of Baal priests and Babylonians and Edomites, right? I mean, there's precedent for that, right? Or, yeah, or, there's precedent for that. Jeremiah was a stand-up comic from, from 6 to 10 at, at the <laughs> temple outside of Jerusalem at night, right? That was okay with Yahweh as long as he gave the real prophecy during the day, right? Right, so he can give real prophecies during the day, and that, that means he's okay now to give false prophecies at night. Well, I don't think Jeremiah was a stand-up comic, right? <laughs> right. And I don't think a Christian identity pastor should be a New Age um, hippie freak. guru, hippie freak, right, on, on, on weekends. It shows that he has an agenda other than Christian identity. He has a differing agenda. He has something else, something more that, 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 that he really wants to be involved in, and that he's trying to, through his emails, through his many statements, through the whole 2012 thing, he's pushing these things into Christian identity. The idea that we should accept the fifth Mayan prophecy or any damn squat monster 
the words of any squat monster. I don't care where you, you want to suppose that these things may have originated. They don't belong in Christianity. If God wanted them in Christianity, he could have wrote them into the Bible. He could have flown Jeremiah over to um, Squat Monster Land and had him trained for six months so that he could come back to Palestine and, and, and prophecy like the, the Mayans did. Uh, I don't, it don't matter to me. It doesn't wash. It's not scripture. It's New Age drivel that there's no um, absolute evidence that any of it's Mayan. Well, you know, um, along those lines, uh, we're here doing a program together. If, you know, um, you found out that on Sunday, you know, on Saturday I'm here, but on Sunday I'm doing Rahoa work and writing against Christ insanity and praising class, and I would think you'd have to split with me. And if I found that out about you, I'd have to split with you. It's not enough to say, well, I'm doing the right thing one day a week. Right, it's not. It, it's not. You, you, if you're a, a Christian pastor, never mind Christian identity, if you're a Christian pastor, you're expected to walk a certain walk. And that walk is laid out in, in the letters of Paul, especially the letters to Timothy and Titus. Right, there's no such and, thing as being an off-duty pastor. But, right, there is no such thing at all. And, and when you're speaking about Scripture and prophecy, the weight of your pastorship is behind that. And the people that hear that believe that you're, um, that, that you're reflecting what is really in the Scripture and how it relates to the things going on today. And, and that's the impression they get. And the impression they get is important because if, if what you're saying is incredible, that this crap about Elenin, that this crap about Nibiru, the fifth Mayan prophecy, the whole 2012 thing, it, it's totally discrediting the Christian identity, which is why I had to make public statements that these things aren't Christian, and they're not. And I first made those statements in a program I did, and I'm sorry, in a paper I wrote, a blog post, which I also published in other places, and made into a podcast, which I did in, in, um, in 2010, called Disdaining the Culture of Fear. And that's when I first began to redress Eli James's positions publicly. And I did it discreetly, but I did it because Eli James was not listening to my admonitions. Right. Well, he basically has a new age sci-fi hippie ministry. Absolutely. And, and people have to be informed of that. And they have to be informed that it's not Christian. And, and I made several programs in regards to that. And, and I have a list of them later on in, in my notes, but I've made several programs in regard to that. Two of them while I was still working with Eli. As or, far as John. I'm concerned, he did give explicit prophecy that the world would end on December 21st, 2012. It, it was clear on all of his shows, his countdown clock. The countdown clock didn't say time until the world might end. It said the world is ending. Prepare to meet your God. Well, well I have some long notes on that. With the countdown clock, which he had on his original website, and in many of his mailings and statements on his programs, Joseph November did indeed suggest that the world was going to end or that Christ was going to return, which is tantamount to, to the end of the world, the end of the age, on December 21st, 2012. He is now spinning those suggestions into something else so that he can offer a plausible denial. The truth is, 
the truth is this. If he was not so sure about 2012, why did he title his paper, Why 2012? And why does the paper supply several paragraphs from several writers, most of whom are New Age kooks, containing arguments in support of 2012? Well, now, now, November, I'm sorry, go on. Go he, on. Has, he, he has an explanation for this, but it's, it's very, it's dubious at best. Can I read a paragraph or two from his explanation on why 2012? Well, well if it's the two paragraphs um, immediately previous, yeah, sure, go ahead. No one can deny the world is collapsing before our very eyes, but no fair-minded person would ever say that I predicted there would be no December 22nd, 2012, as an aside, he explicitly told me there wouldn't be. That is Fink's false characterization of my work. Why 2012? It is a perfect example of the straw man technique. Here's the first paragraph of my conclusion of why 2012. The signs of the times are piling up very high. It is very hard to ignore them. This survey of various prophecies, secular, biblical, and non-Christian, serves, I believe, is ample warning that we are indeed in the end times. Whether or not December 21st, 2012 is D-Day, we will have to wait and see. But current events clearly show that we are in the midst of a precipitous decline in civilization, a decline which shows no indication of being reversed, because those who are in power do not want it to be reversed. They are determined to have their world empire or go down in flames and ashes trying to complete it. Little do these children of Satan realize that all of their plans and deeds have been anticipated by Yahweh, as he is going to send Yeshua and Archangel Michael to cleanse this planet very soon. Note the highlighted sentence. Does that sound like a guarantee that there will be no December 22nd, 2012? Fink has put words in my mouth. That is a Jewish technique. My purpose in writing Why 2012 was to draw non-identians into considering identity by virtue of the massive amount of end times prophecies, both Christian and non-Christian. In fact, several people wrote to that reading this article caused them to investigate identity further. This article also stresses the fact that all of the great civilizations of the past, even those not currently recognized as white, were founded by the bearded white men. This fact is totally suppressed by academia, but Bill Fink thinks he can undo my work by falsely labeling it as a failed prophecy. Well, well we're going to see there is a failed prophecy, and, 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 and you know, even if there are bearded white men in the fables, of the of, of the Aztecs and other people in South America, that doesn't give the Mayan calendar and Mayan prophecies any legitimacy whatsoever. Doesn't give them. And you, you notice how he's he's trying to offer himself an out here by saying we'll have to wait and see. He's giving himself a little window so when it comes and goes, he can say, "Oh, I never pinned myself down. It wasn't a prophecy." But we're going to see shortly here. First, I have a little in introduction, but we're going to see how this paper was presented. And, and this is a very long paper, and towards the end of it, he says, we will have to wait and see. But how this paper was presented was from the, the viewpoint of scriptural authority, and we're going to see that. And when you're presenting something from the standpoint of scriptural authority, well, well, then you're presenting it as prophecy, the interpretation of prophecy, the real meaning in Greek of the word prophetes is to be an interpreter of prophecy. That's the original meaning, Liddell and Scott, 
Okay? That's the first definition they give for the word prophetes, to be an interpreter of prophecy. Okay? So if you're giving this exposition which Eli gave from, a, from the standpoint of authority in biblical prophecy, which he gave it, and we will see that, well, then you're playing the prophet. And after 20 or 30 paragraphs, one little line at the end, after 20 or 30 paragraphs of pumping up the idea that the world's going to end December 21st, 2012. It may one, or may not happen. We'll wait and see. And one little line at the end that says we will have to wait and see, it doesn't make up for that. It doesn't balance all of that gravitas that you've already given the idea. Right. Not to mention... If you notice as well, he says that he's trying to draw non-identians in. So what he's basically saying here, you read between the lines, is that he's trying to draw in New Age hippie freaks who are tuned in and whatever, they're tuned in, turned on, however you want to word it, to this New Age hippie apocalyptic doomsday Mayan prophecy nonsense. And he thinks that by embracing their nonsense, he can get them interested in identity. So why don't we, why don't we start... Um, in order to reach out to atheists, why don't we stop talking about God? And maybe in order to reach out to what few white Muslims might be out there, let's start quoting the Koran. And then when we get them interested, we'll start teaching them basic identity theology. Well, why don't we preach the gospel to Negroes so that they stop attacking white women? Well, that's stupid. That's absolutely stupid. They've had to, that. They've had to, Why don't we argue Christian identity with him, I should say, with, with Negroes so they stop attacking white women? It's absolutely stupid. Why does Eli James or Joseph November, why does he have a ministry to the fringes? Because that's what he's admitting. Well, he's not trying to change the fringes and bring them in. He's trying to bring them in and change the overall ministry. That's what it seems like to me, because he's built a ministry on the, the legitimization of bastards, on... The, the preaching of God's love for the other races. He's built his ministry on preaching to New Age hippie freaks. Mark, uh, I mean, why build a ministry to the fringes? Not to mention, you know, the, the sort of people he associates with and who are fine dealing with him. Arlene Johnson, I don't think, if Arlene Johnson bumped into me online in 2007, 2008, I don't think we would have developed any sort of working relationship. She would have seen me as some sort of crypto-fascist or an overt-fascist or a, a Nazi or something, and that would have been the end of it, and I would have called her the task for being a Marxist. But apparently, she, you know, people like that gravitate towards Eli. And what does that say about Eli? Well, that's, you, you know, I'm here doing this for the, for the five or six or ten or twelve people that might listen to Joe November and maybe led astray with some of this garbage. And I've been addressing this garbage for three years, maybe four years now. I, I, actually, I started in February of 2010. I have the proof. It's on my website. It's in a podcast. It's locked in. It's in a paper. It, it's, um, the dates are there. There's no, there should be no doubt that I started addressing Eli's quackery at least as early as February 2010. Now, I know that I was addressing it a lot earlier than that in conversations with Eli, but he just wasn't hearing it. Clifton Emmerheiser, Clifton Emmerheiser spent three months maybe of his life addressing the Ron Wyatt garbage. Ron Wyatt 
is another quack and a liar. And, and Eli was making up entire stories about Ron Wyatt and, and how the, the, the whole blood on the mercy thing, seat thing is just absolute quackery. The idea that Ron Wyatt found the Ark of the Covenant under Calvary is absolute bullshit. And I'm not afraid to say it's bullshit. That's all I could call it. The paragraph which Joe November quoted from his Y2012, which tries to give him an excuse, well, we'll just have to wait and see. You know, I'm familiar with that paragraph. I quoted that very same paragraph in a post at Christagenia, the Christagenia Forum on February 13th of 2012. And he was making straw man arguments about me in that post, which I addressed in that post, and which I was denying in that post. He was also insisting that three end-time prophecies, and this is what he says, three end-time prophecies, and none of them were Christian, which he was promoting, were converging in 2012 in an email where he tried to dress me down for, for criticizing his 2012 position. This is in February of 2012. And, and that post... So that, that, that post will be, it, it, it will be linked with this podcast, with the notes to this podcast on the forum. Eli James was trumpeting three end-time prophecies in his February 13, 2012 Judgment Day Perspectives letter, which were converging in 2012. And he was dead serious about it. This wasn't a wait-and-see thing. He was dead serious about it. I'm sorry, that was his January 29th. 2012 Judgment Day Perspectives newsletter. It took me until February 13th to get around to answering it, right? Now, because it never happened, Eli Jane or Joseph November is in a state of denial and he's trying to cover his tracks. He's trying to um, make excuses for himself, downplay what his assertions were. But now I've heard from people on Facebook who, who follow him that he's also predicting that the Messiah shall return in 2014 or 2015 based upon astronomical evidence. So why does it have to be 14 or 15? Why can't he nail it down to a you know, specific day in a month like he did last time? Right. And then when 2015 comes and goes, it'll be 2017 or 2018. Yeah, you know he's a fraud. He he's a fraud that just can't help himself. Right. He's well, you know, even a broken clock is right once or twice a day, right? I mean, if if the clock is specific and it says a.m. or p.m., then it's only right once a day. But if it doesn't have the a.m. or p.m. feature, it just says you know six o'clock. Well, it's going to be right twice a day. So well, if, well, he, if he if he predicts the end times often enough, eventually he'll hit it, won't he? What, well, well, yeah, Pal Lindsay don't hit it first, right? Why talk about converging end-time prophecies in 2012, which is the basis for his Y2012 paper, where he lists all these converging end-time prophecies, and some of them are from New Age kooks, and some of them are from apocryphal literature. Why mention these converging end-time prophecies in 2012, and why mention December 21st, 2012 at all, an exact date? And why have a countdown clock? if we will have to wait and see, as he says. Do Christians, should Christian pastors promote suspense and titillation? Or, or is that the, the, um, the arena for the Jewish media? Eli's entire apologetic for his Y2012 paper is all typical doublespeak, 
have a countdown clock, write 10 or 12 paragraphs supporting the argument in favor of why 2012, and then say whether that is the date we will have to wait and see. Well, what's the sense? Why do it in the first place? Why not say that, why not say that about any date in the future and hope that eventually you'll be right, like you said, a broken clock? Or that you at least sell a lot of books in the meantime. That, that's for Hal Lindsey. It's for Zechariah Sitchin. It, it shouldn't be for Christian identity. It shouldn't be for Christianity, period. You know, I first publicly addressed Joseph November's end-day prophecying in February of 2010 in that blog post I spoke about, disdaining the culture of fear. That was nearly a year before we split. In fact, I wrote that when we'd only been working together for 14 months. He refused to hear it then, and I'm sure he'll refuse to hear it now. Eli's proclivity for these things were again addressed by me weeks before our split in an open forum program entitled Newspaper Eschatology, which I, I, I conducted on January 3rd, 2011, and the, the, um, the, the, the podcast is still at Christagenia, Newspaper Eschatology. I was compelled to address this drivel once again a few months after our split in another open forum program I did, which I entitled Zechariah Sitchin, the Anunnaki, 2012, Nibiru, and Cro-Magnon Man, New Age Antichrist Lies. Which, which was all about the things that Eli James was promoting at that time. Things that people came to me and said, what's up with this and what's up with that? And what do you think about this and what do you think about that? And I'm like, where'd you get this crap from? And they said, oh, Eli's been selling it on his program or Eli's been talking about it on his program. Zechariah Sitchin, the Anunnaki. There's a Jew that made up a story about Nibiru that Eli's been promoting for how, I don't know how many years. And it's a made-up story. You know, it's not based in reality at all. And I, pre I, I presented that program on January, uh, on, I'm sorry, March 21st, 2011. Now, you're probably old enough to remember these clowns, but I'm only, you know, able to learn about them by reading about them now. I wasn't around when they were behaving in the, in the clownish fashion that has made them famous or infamous, depending on your perspective. But do you remember Edgar Wisenant? or Wisenant, he wrote several books. The first one that, that was, you know, the most prominent one was in 1988, called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. He sold over four and a half million copies. Of course, you know, the rapture didn't happen then. But he had declared, only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. And I would say that to every preacher in town. If there were a king in this country and I could gamble with my life, I would stake my life on Rosh Hashanah, 1988. Well, no one was stopping him from committing suicide when it came and went. But then he wrote another book, 1989, The Final Shout, Rapture Report, 1989. Then, of course, you know, he waited a few years, 1993. 23 reasons why a pre-tribulation rapture looks like it will occur on Rosh Hashanah 1993. So he's gone from how the rapture will be in 88 to it might be in 93. Of course, nothing happens. In his final book, 1994, and now the Earth's destruction by fire, nuclear bomb fire. And after that, he kind of went away, predicted the rapture a few more times in the late 90s, and then he died in 2001. And Eli's admitted it's a Jewish proclivity to create straw man arguments. He creates hundreds of them, and and, and now he's you know it's a, evidently a Jewish proclivity to predict end time dates. 
Well, aren't we told that there will be many, there'll be wars, rumors of wars, be not troubled, be not worried, be not deceived? Christians shouldn't worry about anything. Don't worry about wars. Don't worry about rumors of wars. Don't worry, don't worry about what men should do to you. It, and, and, and Joe November hides behind aliases, and, and nobody ever sees his family because he's worried about what men should do to them. What, what men should do to him, I'll tell you what men would do to him. They'd probably stop sending them checks. That's what they do to them. Well, if you were um, taking donations and you're asking people to send checks to William Fink because that's your name, they're probably okay with that. But if, let, let's say your your real name is uh, Moshe Rothstein and you want them to send checks to you and you say, oh, uh, my name is Moshe Rothstein, make the check out to Moshe Rothstein, you're probably not going to get many checks. So if someone goes out there and says, uh, send the check to Pastor Eli James, well, since Pastor Eli James, you know, Eli James Publishing is a registered corporation, it's um, Joe November doing business as, he can cash checks that are made out to Eli James, or if he said make the check out to Joe November, he's not getting any checks. No doubt. I wouldn't nope. send a check to Joe November. No, nobody in Christian identity would, I don't think. But when he first started writing Clifton Emmerheiser, and I had the proof because I have the envelopes, he wrote Clifton Emmerheiser as Joseph November with his current address. Well, he used to call me on the phone to get ready for shows, and it would show up on the caller ID, November, comma, Joseph. And one day I just asked him, Eli, why is your phone in some other guy's name? I mean, who's Joe November? And he said, oh, that's my business name. I just use it to protect myself. My okay. real name's Eli. Well, well, you, you're dragging me away from this topic, and we're kind of fixed on time. I just want to say that um, in Y2012, if you read that paper, Joseph November presented a series of New Age prophecies with the pretense of biblical authority. And he begins that paper by saying, those of us who study biblical prophecy know that the signs of the end times are upon us. Well, well the apostles taught that, right? The apost two apostles mentioned that explicitly. It, it, we don't have to study biblical prophecy to know it, right? He goes on to say, Yahshua's prophecy that the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world has, been literally, has literally been fulfilled. And, and then he goes on to talk about how it just wasn't quite done right. And, and then he says, in addition to such clear prophecies, the numerics of the Bible provides hidden clues as to the timing of the last days. The entire 2012 paper is designed to present a hypothesis about the end of the world on December 21st, 2012, from a position of biblical authority. Go read the opening paragraphs. November spoke out of both sides of his mouth when he wrote it. He sure as hell speaking out of both sides of his mouth trying to cover his tracks. But when you read Y2012, he purposely projected a facade of biblical authority for his paper. That one little line down at the bottom of a 20 or 30 paragraph paper does not atone for. It does not atone for. Oh, we'll have to wait and see. After, after 30 paragraphs of biblical authority on why it's so. And I'm gonna. I have a, some lengthy notes here and a lengthy quote that I'm gonna make and post on the Christagenia forum tomorrow when I post the notes to this podcast. 
He even goes to so far as to explain that the Hebrew word nabi has a primary meaning of seer or prophet, and then he goes on to deny that it could ever be used of him. And then he says that he's now, we are, he says we are now in a position to understand the prophecies that have been delivered to us. He's claiming to be a prophet. He might be too, uh, I don't think he's too stupid to know it. I think he's too double-minded to admit it, but he was claiming it because the original definition of the, he, of the Greek word prophetes is to be an interpreter of prophecy. And he lays this whole paper out like he has biblical authority to pick this 2012 date, this December 21st, 2012 date. And that's how the entire paper is projected. And he's lying about it again. He's lying. He's a liar. If, if Joe November moves his lips, he's lying. I had to get that out. I, I will post my, my entire, all of my notes on this Y 2012 paper in response to Joseph November's lies on the forum tomorrow. That's all I can say. I want to get past this Y2012 thing and end on to better parts of the paper when we come back here next week because it's getting late, right? All right, so we're going to end here then or we're going to press on or you're going to play a, a, a clip? Well, yeah, you know, the clip, I'm going to play a long clip when we end the program. Only the people on the Christoginian stream are going to be able to hear it. The, the people in TalkShoe can switch to my website and press on any one of those players and it should work. I've lowered the bit rate on three of the players, on the bottom three players, I've lowered the bit rate, hoping that they won't cut out as often because people have been, been complaining about my players cutting out. I don't know why they should have plenty of um, they should have plenty of bandwidth and plenty of memory that they should each handle theoretically 128 listeners and and of course I never get that many. Come on, well, well um, we'll pick it up next week. We'll be back here with um, what with with Joseph November's statement that my claims that he's a universalist is laughable. He, he makes that statement, and he loves to throw up great clouds of dust to obscure the issues, but he's never addressed one of the points we raised in, in the program that we did in March entitled The Universalism of Eli James. He's never addressed one point in that paper, in, in that podcast. And, and that's incredible. Do you have any closing remarks? If I recall, I think um, Pastor Downey revealed this on your forum. I think it was on page 111 or 119 of the Great Impersonation that Eli explicitly stated Jesus came to preach to all races, all people, a message of universal salvation and hope for establishing a relationship with God. Well, well you're paraphrasing, but he said something awfully, con awfully close to that. Page 111 of The Great Impersonation. If I'd ever, if I'd have ever read page 111 of The Great Impersonation, any potential relationship that I had with Eli James would have ended immediately. And the, the, the Eli James that he projected to me two years before I got out of prison when we first started corresponding was not the Eli James from page 111 of The Great Impersonation. Okay. That's why the mask has to come off of Eli James, because he is the great impersonator. 
I found it here. Um, Pastor Donnie posted it on your forum under the thread I made, Joseph November exposing anti-Semites with an identity. This is where he called you an anti-Semitic shell. And Pastor Downey quotes page 111, quote, The other major point to bear in mind is that Jesus, like the Old Testament prophets, distinguishes between Israelites and non-Israelites. Although Jesus is not exclusive in his teachings of the law, it is, never, it is nevertheless a fact that for Jesus, true Israel plays a major role in the salvation of this world. Jesus does not consider non-Israelites unworthy of his attention. Let me repeat that. Jesus does not consider non-Israelites unworthy of his attention. Jesus was not preaching truth, justice, love, and mercy for one group of people only, namely the tribal in-crowd. He was preaching these things for all people, end quote. And to compare that, if I recall, I could be mistaken. Maybe Eli and I have different Bibles. I have the, you know, the King James and the Christogenia, and he has the Talmud. But if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Jesus said, I come not but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I don't recall him saying, I come for all people. Well, well Joseph November has once again taken the simple um, intercourse with Joshua, which Joshua had with the Canaanite woman and the healing of her daughter, and he has extrapolated that in, into the salvation of the Canaanite people. And therefore, basically, the Jews is the next step. That's the next step. Now, he keeps resorting, and he does on that page, he keeps resorting to that one episode and reading what he wants into that episode. And he comes out a universalist no matter how you look at it. He, and, he has to come out a universalist. There's no other way to look at it. Well, he's very explicitly a universalist on page 111 of The Great Impersonation with his own lips. I scanned my copy of that page and, and, and attached it to Pastor Downey's post on the Christogenia Forum so, so that people could see that it's actually part you're of the book. You're just putting words in Eli's mouth. He never said that this is a straw man. You're a, you're a Jewish shill. You're using Jewish tactics, Bill. Well, I made a reference to a, to a part of my anatomy last week that people could come and see anytime they wanted to prove that I'm not a Jew. Well, when they're here looking at that, they could see page 111 of the Great Impersonation because I got a copy of the book that Joseph November gave me. So, so that's all I could say to that, that they could actually – I'm not going to say they should go buy the, 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 the piece. It, it's a garbage book, I swear. That, that I'm not going to say they should go buy it. it it's cut and pasted. It, it's not very well organized. It, it's horrible. It, it's, um, it, it's all everybody else's borrowed work. There's very little original research in it. But, but he, he, you know, Joe November claims that the book makes him a great genius. I, I just don't get it. Well, well um, I think it's a horrible book. I think the same story could have been told in 20 or 30 pages without all the, all, all the, um, the extravagance that Joe and, and pretense that Joe November adds to his writing. Just what most of his writing can be told in a couple of pages if he'd leave all the garbage out. I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it, it's insane to me. Well, well um, my, my, most of my papers are pretty short because I like to get to the point, right? Well, um, that, that's it for tonight, and, and we'll be back here next week with, with Joseph November's um, his, the claims he makes about my labeling him a universalist. And, and we'll prove that he is a universalist. We just have. Thank you for joining me. Yahweh bless. Thank you. Praise Yahweh.
Yeah, I have a... Yahweh. 